Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. I was just thinking as I came up the steps, the time was that I would have ran up these steps two at a time. And I just don't do that much anymore. I don't know what it is. Uh, you must have changed the steps. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful to see you once again. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate your prayers, your support, your encouragement, your friendship. And when I come here, I always find some friendly faces. And uh, I'm grateful for that because sometimes when I'm at the legislature, there aren't a lot of friendly faces. Actually, there really are some. There are some great people down there, uh, some people who really love the Lord Jesus Christ and people who are attempting in what they're doing to serve Christ. And I know for them it has to be very frustrating to be a legislator. And yet it's the love of Christ that constrains them and keeps them going. One of them said to me last week, he said, sometimes I wonder if I'm ever accomplishing anything here or if I should be doing something else. And I can understand why he would think that. And yet it's really the love of Christ that really keeps us going and uh, keeps us excited. Uh, Martin Luther called John 3, verse 16, the miniature gospel. And the miniature gospel just gives us the love of God in a nutshell. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's really amazing to think about it because love is the nature of God. It's the very nature of God. God is gracious, but God is not grace. God is compassionate, but God is not compassion. God is kind, but God is not kindness. God is love. We have no rights to any claim on God. But he still loved us and sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins. What a wonder, isn't it? I don't have a right to God's love, but I get to experience God's love every day. You don't have a right to God's love, but you get to experience the love of God every day. And I think one of the key things in our lives is that we need to learn to let the love of God fill our hearts. And as the love of God fills our hearts, we're going to be able to be overflowing with compassion and love toward those that are around us. Maybe some of you have discovered that in life there are some people that are some, somewhat unpleasant. Did any of you ever run into somebody like that? Yeah. And yet the love of God can help you to be able to love people like that. Now, I admit, there are some people you have to pray for more than others to be able to really love them. Uh, but it's really worth it. My predecessor told me one of the last days that he lobbied with me, Bob, if you're ever going to be effective with the legislators, you're going to have to learn to love them. And uh, he was absolutely right. And uh, I have learned that the love of God can overcome a lot of things. You know, if you really love people when you share the gospel with them, they're going to be able to sense that. But if you're doing it, but, well, i got to do this, you know. It's my duty. Well, it's more than your duty. It's your privilege. Remember when you first fell in love? And you told your best friend, oh, I met this guy. 
wow. Did you really say that? Oh, my. I met this girl. Oh, man. You know, I remember, I remember my brother came out, and I'd, I'd been dating my wife for a couple of months. And he came out to visit over Thanksgiving that year. Church was over, and I said, pointed up to the front where my wife was standing, and she wasn't my wife at that time. But she was, bar- she was barely my girlfriend, and I said, uh, I said, you see that girl over there? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to marry her. He said, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not kidding. He said, you're serious, aren't you? I said, yeah. Well, I was 25 years old. They didn't think I was ever going to get married. So my sisters used to razz me about it. I got married when I was 26. Six months later, we were married already. So uh, it did happen that way, and we've been married now for, in May, it'll be 48 years. It's just really hard to believe. So I can't believe somebody put up with me for that long. <laughs> I tell people, you know, I have to be a traveling pre. I'm a traveling preacher. I have to because people only want to hear me once a year, <laughs> and she has to put up with me week after week. Uh, let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, for the absolute assurance that we have of eternal life through faith in Him. We thank you, Father, that Jesus paid it all. And Lord, we know that there's nothing we can do to earn it. Father, give me the words to preach this morning that bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I thought I heard a baby say Papa back there, and it really threw me for an instant because I didn't think any of my grandkids were here. You know, I was speaking to somebody one day, and we were talking about the the necessity of trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior and how you get saved. And he said, well, he said, God does his part, and I do my part. And I said, yeah, you do the sinning, God does the saving. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he ever got saved, but, you know, it's important for people to understand that Jesus paid it all. And when you tell God that Jesus didn't do enough and you have to do your part, Imagine standing in front of God and say, God, you're a liar. I have to do my part. You have to. You have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's your part, to depend upon the Savior and him alone. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, verse 9, and this was manifested the love of God toward us, in that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God initiated it. God made the first move. We didn't. God so loved that he gave. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. There is an innate drawing of mankind toward God, but man has resisted, and man in his sinful nature rejects God and thinks that he can do it himself. He can't. It's impossible. God loved. You know, I I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't trust Christ until I was 22 years old. And I tell people there was a time in my life that God sent the the hounds of heaven after me to pursue me. And I was run down by the hounds of heaven. Uh, I can remember reaching a point in my life where I didn't want to live anymore. I had to cross this major highway to go to work in the morning on the way to the bakery, and I just thought, you know, it would be so easy to just step in front of a semi. And then 
the realization hit me, I don't know where I'm going when I die. And if I say there's no heaven or hell and I'm going to live the, I want to live it up anyway, then where am I going to go if there is a hell or a hell and a heaven? So I didn't. Months later, I was traveling with some friends to California. We were in Dallas, Texas. Billy Graham was preaching. And he said the word believe. You know, his gospel presentation that, clear, that day was not at all clear, but he said the word believe, and I said, you know what? I have known about Jesus Christ all my life. I've just never believed in him as my Savior. And on that day, June 15, 1972, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And God saved me. God gave me eternal life. And I shall never perish. And no man shall pluck me out of, my, out of his hand. No man can pluck me out of my Father's hand. My Father, he said, which gave me, to me is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of his hand. Often when you share the gospel with somebody who's been brought up in a religious background, uh, they've been taught if you do something really bad, you can lose your salvation. And we're going through John 3, verse 16, God so loved the world, that's you and I, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, you're whosoever, right? All of you are whosoever's. Whosoever believeth in him. The word believe just means trust, depend, or rely on. All of you are trusting those pews to hold you up right now, aren't they? Aren't you? If that pew goes down, you're going down with it. When I tell you I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm telling you that Christ alone is what saves me. Faith in Christ alone. I cannot do anything to earn it myself. It is absolutely impossible. I knew my mom and dad were praying for me every day. I knew my mom and dad got on the couch and prayed for me every evening or every night. And I was glad to know that. I also knew my mom and dad had something I didn't have, and I wanted it. And sometimes, you know, as your children are growing up, you look at some of your children and you say, look, they look like they're going astray a little bit. You know what? It's going to be the love of Christ. You keep in prayer for them. You keep on loving them. My mom and dad just loved me to pieces, and they accepted me. Now, there were a lot of people that didn't. I looked like a hippie back in those days. I just want you to know I'm not a hippie anymore. I've had both hips replaced, and I'm an ex-hippie. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just couldn't resist that. It's kind of like the man who threw up in church and had to sit in his own pew. <laughs> ah, you know, when I heard that word pew from the pulpit this morning, I said, you know, this is going to come out somewhere, so I can just I'll get it out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I know, you're not supposed to talk about stuff like that. But The love of Christ, the Bible tells us, the love of God constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us. You know, it's the, it's the love of Jesus Christ that compels me to tell people about Christ. I told my brother about my wife when I fell in love with her, and I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry her. Why? Because, because I loved her. It wasn't difficult to talk about her. And you know what? The more you love Christ, the easier you'll find it be to talk about him. Get yourself to fall in love with Christ and just love him to pieces. And it's not difficult to talk about him. You know, 
I was accused of being too outspoken in my witnessing. My grandson was in high school at the time, and I was bringing him home from track meet, from track practice, and said, Logan, I said, there are some people that say I'm too outspoken in my witnessing. I said, I just look at it this way. If God loved me so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and die and pay for my sins, then I should be able to love people enough to tell them about him. He said, well, Papa, that makes sense. And you know what? Later on, he told me, he said, Papa, he said, I know all of your witnessing pickup lines. <laughs> Not only that, but he used them on his friends in high school as well. So it was, really, it was really exciting to be able to see that. But, you know, the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they, which live, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The answer for the first question in the Westminster Catechism goes something like this. I belong unto my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I do. I belong to him. You belong. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong to him. The love of Christ compels me to talk about him. The love of Christ preoccupies my mind when I talk to people. You know, I, I look for opportunities to, to share the gospel with people. I just do. And I just, I sincerely believe that God often gives me divine appointments to talk to people. In Sunday school, I mentioned that, you know, I, uh, this, this past week, you know, on the way to Springfield, uh, last week I, I met a trucker at the Love's gas station in Jacksonville, shared the gospel with him, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. I'm convinced that God set up that appointment for me to talk to him. As I was checking them out of my hotel, I checked out a day early because they weren't, they weren't really doing anything anyway, and I said, you know, there's nothing for me to lobby for. There's no sense spending this money to stay in here for another day. Uh, I can just as well go home. And uh, I'm checking out of the hotel, and I ran into this guy for the second time, and he gave me his business card. He was a, uh, a veteran who was also an artist, and, you know, he did artwork, and he did, you know, fancy concrete work and stuff like that. And he said, you never know if you're going to need this card. And and um, then I, then I, and then I ran into him as we're checking out, and he's, where we struck up a conversation, and he kind of talked like he was saved. But I thought, you know what? I need to make sure about this. I said, do you know where you would go if you were to die? And he said, well, he said, I've been pretty rotten. He said, but I've done a lot of really good things, and I've redeemed myself. Oh, am I glad I decided to ask him that question. I shared the gospel with him, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. But so many times when I share the gospel that's from somebody that, with somebody that comes from a religious background, I'll say to them, now, if you do something really bad, can you lose it? And they say, oh, yeah. I said, well, where in the Bible does it say that you get temporary probation? It doesn't say that. What do you get? The moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gives you what? Everlasting life. How long is everlasting life? If you lose it, is it forever? No. 
whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but hath, present tense, right now, the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God says, you hath eternal life. Once you hath eternal life, you can't lose that. That's what God, which cannot lie, said. If that's good enough for God, it ought to be good enough for you and I. Well, I've got to do my part. Yeah, you do. You do the setting. But you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. I love that song, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. You say, well, that's stretching it. Well, John 21, verse 25 says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should ever be written, every one of them, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said the world could not contain the books that should be written. You know, we don't know everything that happened in the life of Christ. We just know what God said. This is what I know you need to know. And I'm going to write this because you need to know this. You know, every one of us is different, and there are different things in the Word of God that hit every one of us. There are different reasons that people get saved. Some people get saved because they feel this sense of burden and guilt, and they want to get rid of it. Some people realize that there's got to be more to life than this. I remember reading the story many years ago about a girl who was 14 years old, and she felt that God was calling her to the mission field, so she started, calling, she started praying for the people that she was going to be a missionary to someday. Many years later, she went to Africa as a missionary, and she came to the village that she was going to be a missionary at, and there was a woman that was an outcast from the rest of the village. She lived by herself. And so she invited the missionary woman to come in and live with her, and she did. And as she learned the language, she found out the reason this woman was not accepted by the villagers is she looked and she said, the gods that you have cannot really be gods because they're made out of wood and stone. There has to be somebody greater. And she started asking God to send somebody who would show her. That was the first convert in the village. I was at a Bible study years ago. It was a man named Rolf Fosterville. He'd been a missionary, I believe. It was with New Tribes. I think he was down in Paraguay. They'd been missionaries there for some years. They had a road that was established through the jungle. He had a four-wheel drive uh, four-wheel drive pickup that he used to go back and forth to town. He said, I was working in my garden one day, and I felt this compelling urge that I had to go to town. I thought, this is crazy. There's no reason I need to go to town. So he kept on working. That urge just kept coming back. That You have to go to town. For... He finally went to his wife. He said, I don't understand it. He said, I feel like I really need to go to town. She said, well, then you better go. 
And as he was driving to town, he came to a Y in the road, and there was an Indian woman sitting there with a basket. He said, do you need a ride to town? She said, she looked at him and she said, are you the missionary I've been praying for? Many years ago, a friend of mine was struggling. He had a woman in a church. He was an interim pastor at a church, and this woman told him, he was a college student at the time, and this woman told him, God's calling you to be a preacher. And he just fought it and fought it and fought it and said, no, nah, I'm not going to be a preacher. My dad was a preacher. I'm not going to be a preacher. He was driving down this backcountry road, and he came to a creek. There was no bridge there, so he crossed the creek, and there was a black man on his knees on the other side of the road, an elderly man, and he looked at him and he said, are you the preacher I've been praying for? You know, God sets up appointments in our lives in many different ways. And we don't recognize it many times. You know, it just looks normal to us. And we say, wait a second, how did this happen? Because God was at work intervening. If you keep yourself open to sharing the gospel to others, God will set up appointments for you to talk to people. You're going to be stunned at the opportunities that you have. The love of God. God so loved the world. Don't be afraid. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Talk to people. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should. The heart of God is he wants people to be saved. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to this earth, isn't it? The day is going to come when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, I look forward to that day. What a day that's going to be. Oh, my. You know, in Sunday school, we close with those words, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And you look at what's happening in the world, and it's real easy to pray that. You know, some days I look at the legislation that's coming up in hearings, and I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know? My wife said to me the other day, she said, I don't understand why the Lord is tarrying. She said, this world is so rotten. <laughs> and it is. The good news is this. Christ came to save sinners. You qualify. I qualify. Your neighbor qualifies. Your unsaved friend qualifies. Your unsaved family member qualifies because Christ came to save sinners. My uncle Bert did not become a Christian until he was in his 70s. It was a really rough construction guy for years. I remember he'd come to Grandpa and Grandma's house sometimes when we were kids on a weekend and you know, our families would all get together at Grandpa and Grandma's house, and Bert would come in, Uncle Bert would come in with a black eye. What happened to you, Bert? Oh, I walked into a door. No, he didn't. He picked a fight in a bar. We all knew what happened with Uncle Bert. But Uncle Bert's four-year-old granddaughter got leukemia. And Uncle Bert became a believer, and Uncle Bert just sat with her and read her Bible stories about Jesus. That little girl's daddy 
and mommy weren't married. And his son, Larry, my cousin, spent time in jail for selling drugs. During this time, his wife was killed, in, or his wife, ex-girlfriend, was killed in an accident. And the mother of the two girls got custody of them. But when that little one died, Uncle Bert was there for her. Uh, several years later, when Uncle Bert had cancer and was in the hospital, the mother, the mother, the grandmother, grandmother would not let them see anybody from that side of the family. But then somehow this girl found out that Uncle Bert was in the hospital. She was 15 years old and got a ride to the hospital and came to see Uncle Bert on his deathbed. Uncle Bert always used to say, churches are not museums for saints. They're sanctuaries for sinners or hospitals for sinners. Yeah, we are not a museum for saints. We are a hospital for sinners, aren't we? And it's our job to be able to help. Christ came to seek and to save that was lost. They that are healthy, those that are healthy don't need a physician. We live in a great parenthesis. What I mean by the great parenthesis is this. There are only four chapters in the Bible that tell us what God wanted the world to be like for us. Genesis 1 and 2, where God looked at everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And Revelation 21 and 22, there shall be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what God wanted the world to be like. And then sin came into the world. It wasn't the apple on the tree that was the problem. It was the pear on the ground. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> My mom said, where do you get these things from? I said, it's inspiration, Mom. <laughs> amazing thing is that with the great parenthesis, the great parenthesis is that from the time of sin coming into the world until God remakes the earth with the new heavens and the new earth. And we live in that great parenthesis now. The very first thing, one of the very first things that happened after this man fell into sin is God gave the promise of a redeemer. He said the serpent shall bruise his heel. And you know what? The promise of the Redeemer was there from the very, very, very beginning. I had a man ask me this week, why does the world hate the Jews so much? Because God created the Jewish nation. It was created separate from any other nation in the world. And he took a man called Abraham who walked by faith. 
and said, I'm going to create this nation, and I'm going to send a redeemer through his bloodline. That's why the devil hates the Jews and the world hates the Jews, because the Jews show us that the word of God is true and accurate and reliable. You can depend on what the word of God has to say. And while we live in this great parenthesis, we're going to see a hatred for the Jewish people because of that. But we're also going to know about the love of God because God promised right from the beginning that there was going to be a Redeemer. And God sent Jesus Christ, John the Baptist saw him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. What an amazing thing. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That word propitiation, you know, that's a beautiful, beautiful word. You look at it and you go, boy, that's a big old word. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God against sin for us. He took the wrath of God upon himself. When he hung up on the cross, the Bible says he, that Jesus became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us, and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because God the Father could not look upon sin. He became the thing that was killing us as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The serpent was killing the Jews, and God said, make that brass serpent and hang it, and whoever looks on that pole, on that brass serpent, is going to live. Whosoever looks upon Jesus Christ and accepts him is going to live and have eternal life. The love of God is permanent, you know. I love it. If you can lose your salvation, would that be something that would be exciting? No. You know, there was a woman who married a man, and this man had this list of things for her to do every day, and she had to do these things every day and had to do the list every day. and You know, she just did them. And her husband passed away. And then she met a man. She, she just fell in love with him, and he fell in love with her. And one day she was cleaning out the attic, and she came upon the list of things that her first husband had her doing. And she realized that she was doing all of them now. She wasn't doing them because she had to. She was doing them because she loved him. You see, being secure in God's love does much more for you than saying, God saying, well, if you're good enough, I'll let you into heaven. You know, when I was 15 years old, my pastor gave me a book, and in the front he wrote, He that endures to the end shall be saved. What 15-year-old boy looks and says, I can endure till the end. Wow! It's like saying, if you never sin again, you can be saved. What hope do you have then? None. But we have a God who loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. He paid that sin debt in full. People say, well, 
you know, I, I say, well, when Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins did he pay for? For all of them. Well, how many would you be left to pay for then? Well, all of them. And then we go through the gospel and to go through a gospel again and explain eternal life is a gift from God. When you receive a gift, who pays for it? You or the other person? Ah. And they will respond to that. And I say, how did God pay for you to have eternal life? Oh, through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The wonder of it. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Even if I die, I'm not going to be separated from the love of Christ. It is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. A love that surrounds you and encompasses you, even though you don't deserve it. We sing that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That June 15, 1972, as I lay in my bed that night, my heart rejoiced within me because for the first time in my life, I knew exactly where I would go if I were to die that night in my sleep. I was surrounded by the love of God. I knew that God loved me. I knew I had eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because of sin, the world is sentenced to be separated from God for eternity. Because of Christ, there's salvation offered to the world. It's your responsibility, my responsibility, to tell people about it. But don't do it just because you're responsible for it. Learn to love Jesus Christ so much you can't stand stopping talking about him. When you love Christ so much, you can't help but talk about him you're going to have a lot more influence on people. You know, people that you know that know that you love them will listen to you much better. I'm grateful that I've been doing what I've been doing now for 31 years. There are people around the legislature now that will listen to me now because they've seen what I've done for 31 years. And they know that I care about them. 
when you care about the people around you, you show the love of Jesus Christ to them in a very real way. And they'll be much more accepting toward the gospel. Love people to Jesus Christ. Love Christ. Thank you for your love, for your pastor, for your church, for Jesus Christ. I have to say, your church is an inspiration to me, and I want to thank you for that. But I want to challenge you at the same time to learn to love the Savior more and more each day so you can be more and more effective. The day's going to come when I'll never do anything again. That'll be an insult to Jesus Christ or a slap in the face of Christ. Because the day's going to come that someday God says, I'm predestined to be like Christ. What a day that's going to be. Friend, I hope that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't, make sure today that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to have this phone represent sin. It's the perfect representative of sin. <laughs> put down that phone. <laughs> no, I'm using it as an example. <laughs> you and I all have sin on us. Jesus Christ, who never sinned, took your sin upon himself and paid for it on the cross of Calvary. And he gives you his righteousness. You are accepted by God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not because of anything you could possibly do. And that hope happens the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how, how can I know? God knows. God knows the moment you put your faith in Christ. You know, sometimes we look at people and we say, I'm not sure they really trusted Christ because we don't see the results in their lives. You know, if you'd have looked at my life the first three years, you'd have never believed that I was a believer. And yet God was at work in my life every single day. And I look back and I say, oh, thank you, God, for being so patient with me and for working in my life. I'm grateful. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for your all-encompassing love that we can never be separated from. Lord, help each one of us to love you more each day. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has never put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they'll realize that Christ died on the cross and paid it all for them. And that by believing them, they can know him. They know that they have eternal life and they shall never perish. Thank you for your promises, Lord, and for being a real promise keeper. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.